We want to see that on everything that you do on every apparatus. Welcome to Raise the Bar, a podcast by Gymnastics New South Wales. Each month, we chat with gymnastics coaches, athletes, and experts to reveal tips and tricks to help you raise the bar on your coaching journey. Today's topic, gymnastics through a judge's eye. Gemma, who are we hearing from? Hi, Kate. This month, we've got Gymnastics Australia Men's Artistic Technical Director and FIG Judge, Rowan Kennedy. Hey, Rowan. Welcome to the show. Gemma, thanks for having me. You know, you've attended the Commonwealth Games and lots of other international events. Um, What's that journey been like for you? I've been really fortunate. um, I come through judging in the um, mid to late 90s and I got my first international um, uh, accreditation in 2001, so post-Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. And that was a period where Australia uh, was very rich with international events. Uh, I was very fortunate to have a number of mentors along the way that, for whatever reason, um, saw me as a future candidate to be um, an international judge and provided me with a a wonderful basis of of understanding men's gymnastics more broadly internationally as well. And so the opportunities that have been afforded to me have been um, enormous. Uh, And uh, and now uh, the relationships I have internationally as well as domestically uh, can only enrich my life. And so I'm very grateful for, for those opportunities that I've had and hopefully I can pass those those learnings on in in the roles that I have, but also through mentoring other other judges, um, I have a few that I that I probably informally mentor, but um, uh, but we don't have a formal relationship as such in in that those terms. But um, certainly, uh, uh, that's where I think I can provide some uh, to give back to the community in ways that uh, the, the sport have provided me with wonderful opportunities. And what are some of the most memorable moments across that career so far? <laughs> well, there are many and um, uh, it's it's the environment that you end up being, being put in as such a positive and rich environment uh, where everyone at an event, be the World Championships, the Junior Worlds, um, a World Cup, uh, everyone around you is trying to perform at their at their absolute best, and so the conversations are generally all very very positive there. Um, and, and so that's probably what I bring back the most is create, trying to create that, that environment where you can continually excel. And although that may, cannot happen every day, overall, if, if five of the seven days are extremely positive, then that's going to have a positive outcome uh, in your life and, and the life of your, of your athletes as well. So that's, uh, that's a big one and it's very generalised and it's very, very personal and specific to me. Um, but being part of, uh, I guess, 2010 was my first World Championships and that was uh, also the year that Prashant Selathurai, who um, those in 
in gymnastics in New South Wales, certainly, but surely more broadly across Australia, would remember he picked mm. up a silver medal on pommel horse at that event. And so my first World Championships, Australia was on the podium. That is certainly a standout moment for me um, and, and continues to be. How has being a judge enriched your coaching? Um, look, there, there are lots lots of skills that I'm... I coach now that I never did when I was a gymnast, and I've never, uh, I've never been an advocate that you have to have had done the sport to be a good coach. Um, uh, but personally, for me, my judging and the level of the judging that I do, um, the 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 learnings and education I've had just through observation at uh, international level has been incredible. So, um, I I think I try and think in simplistic terms, and being around some of the world's best coaches on a regular basis, and also world's best judges on a regular basis, and just forming different opinions of how things should be performed, and and ultimately what we desire and where we want the sport to go gives you quite a unique perspective um, that I can bring back into my coaching and then also uh, part of my role as a judge but also as a national technical director is to provide that feedback more generally uh, throughout the community wherever possible, be it in education or be it through uh, our our, uh, resources that we use um, being the National Levels Programme. Being a judge, does that make you a more critical coach or do you find yourself still, you know, making sure you're being positive and providing feedback in a manner that's uh, still couched in that positivity? Because I can just imagine, you know, you might be sitting there going wrong, wrong, this, that as a judge. So how do you integrate those those parts of you? (laughs) Yeah, look, um, I, I don't have any athletes right now that are certainly um, aim, uh, not aiming, but are certainly on the cusp of international representation at this point in time. So I can have a little bit more of a relaxed approach to that. But I certainly, when I get asked questions by my athletes about how about this, how about that, I I sometimes have to take a step back and and remember that. They're asking me based on their previous performances. They're not asking me based on world-class performance. And uh, often my feedback is based on world-class performance um, because that's ultimately what we're trying to achieve. And uh, I even find myself at times saying, look, you have made improvements, but ultimately this is what we want to achieve or this is how we want to um, to complete or compete the skill, uh, and so you're still a little bit off that. Uh, so I, I try and tame down my criticism, and you know, coaching and coaching gymnastics is a continually continuous negative loop feedback, and we have to be just very aware that we need to provide positivity wherever we can because it can be very easy just to say no, that was wrong. No, you bent your knees. No, your legs were apart. Um, and so I'm very conscious of that and I have noticed over the years that I have changed the language that I use. I've changed how I approach each individual uh, athlete that, that, that comes into my, into my care uh, and, and I think that has also made me a better coach in many ways. 
Great. From your experience, what's the biggest misconception coaches have about judging? Well, I'm not sure if there are any misconceptions as such. Certainly the men's gymnastics community is quite a small community and um, we have a huge cross crossover between those who are coaches and judges um, and, and they try and balance out their time to do both and, and they certainly see the value in, in judging as part of their coaching. Um, and we have coaches who have been around for a long time that absolutely call on uh, for judges' feedback uh, and integrate with with judges on a regular basis. Um, and I guess maybe the, what sort of questions do you commonly get then from coaches? It really is clarification, um, yeah. especially on the compulsory routine side. It's, it's really about clarifying um, what the expectation, because sometimes, unfortunately, although we have the intent to make the the ALP as clear as possible. Um, due to space, you have to summarise summarise what the text is, and that can sometimes lead to um, uh, something needing further clarification down the track. Uh, when it comes to judging, what are the most common deductions made for in men's gymnastics? Yeah, that's quite a difficult question to to answer because in men's gymnastics we have two types of routines that are performed and uh, in our junior space uh, they're compulsory routines where the routines are preset and the athletes have to do it in a predetermined order to certain criteria and then we have in the um, uh, senior space we have optional routines where the gymnasts and coaches get to choose what they put in their routine and so they can be quite quite different um Starting with with the junior space, it really is uh, when when I think when I think about the common deductions, it really comes down to uh, gymnasts where they they layer deductions on top of each other. So they they may the obvious one might be they may bend their knees, but at the same time they may have leg separation, their toes may not be pointed and if they're meant to be in a straight line, their hips may be bent. So it's not just the one deduction for bending knees, they also get a deduction for their leg separation, their toes not pointed and also a change in angle with their hips if that's not what's required. So uh, broadly speaking, that is where a lot of deductions come from in that junior space is athletes just not understanding how important or applying how important uh, extension is in all the work that they do. And and we come back to the handstand being the most important element in, in gymnastics. And in men's gymnastics, you do a handstand on every piece of apparatus. Even if you're not doing it in, doing that in a in the junior space, you'll most certainly be doing that in the senior space. So uh, if you think about the basic handstand and the position that you want to be in, essentially what you're doing is creating a straight line from your wrists, hands and wrists right through to your feet. And we want to see that on everything that you do uh, on every apparatus. And so I think that's the most basic way of uh, dumbing down what we do as judges is essentially we're assessing everything from a handstand position and then if the requirement is to be in a pike position then that's okay and if the requirements to be in a tuck position then that's okay because we have clearly identified what a pike position is and what a tuck position is. 
And perhaps would it would you say that the toes pointed and all that extension work might be the same thing in women's gymnastics as well as being? Yeah, most pushing? certainly. And and I think uh, uh, the females at a younger age demonstrate this much better uh, for various reasons. Maybe they have dance as a component of their training. Where broadly through men's gymnastics, unless you're part of a a high performance program or a, or a, a well well coordinated club program, uh, dance doesn't really come into the mix in men's gymnastics uh, in a major on a major scale. So uh, we can do better in men's gymnastics by um, empower not necessarily empowering, but bringing in uh, people with uh, with broader experiences and especially from the dance background um, into the club setting and provide our, our men's men's gymnastics programs with a little bit of insight into into uh, how dancers get uh, obtain their extension uh, through their body uh, because with that also comes some other beneficial ben- beneficial elements such as uh, a power and grace and artistic uh, movements which is what we're after as well Thanks for sharing. Now on to selections. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your role as a national selector? Um, so as uh, I'm one of two international experts on the men's selection panel, uh, and our role is uh, if there's international events to uh, that we have identified that we will go and compete at, our role is basically to select uh, who those individuals are or who the team will be uh, to do that. And and so part of part of that is um, we have a high performance team that draw up uh, the selection criteria based on our feedback and, and communication, and and then that that selection policy is published. And so we have to very much um, make sure that. When we do selections, we select to the policy. We can't go outside the the purview of the of the policy. Otherwise, we're sort of we're, we're breaching our role. And what are some misconceptions about selections? Um, I don't think that generally coaches understand. The coaches who have been in the system long enough and dealt with selections on a regular basis understand, but. As a developing coach, you're probably not aware that um, we write the selection policy in the hope that the athletes will select themselves. And by that I mean you remove the selectors from the process and if you're good enough to reach a certain benchmark that has been predetermined, then there's no way that your performance can be denied. And so you're selecting yourself. And the only reason the selectors come into the conversation at that point is if we have more athletes reach the, the benchmark score than how, than how many we can actually send away. So if, if we can only send away four and five athletes reach the benchmark score, someone has to miss out. And that's our role as selectors is to work out who are the best four to achieve the objectives that have been set out in the selection policy. How do you other, typically do that? Oh, sorry. No, no, you're right. The, the <laughs> other side of that is that if no gymnasts or if minimal gymnasts uh, reach the, the benchmark score, then it's our role to come together and say, to achieve our outcomes, this is, this is going to be the best selections that we can make to, um, 
to achieve that. So it really is once the athletes, if the athletes haven't achieved the benchmarks, that's where we really have to make sure our processes are followed and that our um, goals are clearly identified in the selection policy uh, of what, what our objectives are. And, and then we select to that. So if, for example, it's an apparatus world championships we're selecting for, we're going to select athletes who have the best chance to make a final uh, as opposed to someone uh, going away just to gain experience. Um, if, yeah. if we're selecting for a team, uh, then that can, brings in different, uh, different considerations. So we're not only selecting for the best outcome to achieve a team result, uh, we may also be selecting for the best outcome for an individual around as well as for apparatus. Okay, and so for coaches who maybe are on the cusp of having an athlete in that space, um, would you then be advising them to be looking closely at that selection criteria and the policies that get published? Yeah, any any um, coach who has uh, any athletes in the junior international space, um, and certainly in in the level ten and senior uh, senior international space, uh, should be downloading these selection policies and reading through them and just looking at what the uh, what the objectives of each event are and what the selection process is because there may be one selection event, there may be multiple selection events um, and just start getting their head around what is going to be required of my athlete down, uh, down the track to be in consideration for uh, selection to major events. And what other resources would you recommend more generally to coaches, um, not necessarily just those who are on those higher levels, but coaches generally who have kids in competition or athletes in competition? Yeah, I, I think uh, there's probably some clubs that already do it, but I, I think clubs can uh, can implement a selection policy of their own for every event that they do. And the selection policy, depending on what objectives they put in there, it may be very restrictive that we're only taking six gymnasts to this event, or it may be very open uh, that we will take every gymnast who um, to, will take every gymnast to this event who is able to prove that they can do their routines competently. Uh, mm. So it could be very, very specific and it can be very generalised. But if, if clubs start introducing their own selection policies for, uh, for the events that they participate in, then it starts setting a tone for coaches to have to know and understand what selection policies are, um, how to start reading them, how to start planning them, because some of these coaches may actually become our technical experts in the future. They may actually be the ones that have to contribute to um, the, the drafting and development of these of, of these um, uh, selection policies. And so the more people we have across and this is not just men's gymnastics specific, but across all gym sports, the more people we have with a strong knowledge base of selection criteria and selection policies, uh, then the better the sport will be uh, in terms of the knowledge that we can pass on to our athletes to say, this is the minimum expectation. If we're not going to reach that minimum expectation, let's move this goal aside and let's look at something more realistic. Uh, but if you if you have the difficulty to be competitive, then it comes down to the execution. You might be slightly off the difficulty, but if your execution is exceptional, then that may also um, uh, 
get you up up to the score that's required. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Rowan. Is there anything else that you'd want to chat about in this space? (laughs) Not that we have time for. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Gemma. You know, being a judge myself, I really resonated with what Rowan said, that the little things add up. You know, the power of just squeezed knees and pointed toes just can go so far in our sport. Yeah, absolutely. And I also found it really interesting when he was talking about selections, that it's about helping the athletes select themselves. And that could be for a coach looking at something like criteria for the Olympic Games or as simple as a sticker chart for skills in the gym. Well, we would love to know what you guys think. Please find us on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok at Gym New South Wales. And otherwise, we will talk to you next month with the Gymnastics New South Wales podcast, Raise the Bar.